Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. So today's message, are you ready for the word? Okay. The title, and this is the conclusion of our series entitled Seasons, is entitled Love Conquers All. Love conquers all. And now I believe that God's love is reckless from the standpoint that it will conquer anything that would try to bring destruction in our lives. And I know there's some people that have a little issue over that singing, God's love isn't reckless. Well, it is. It's very biblical because it will do everything it possibly can to reach lost sinners for Christ to save them, to deliver them, to set them free. And so it deals with the adversary. It deals with the strongholds. It confronts darkness, okay? And so love conquers all. I I believe God is raising up a level of expectation among his people. And so when you come to services, come expecting God to do something significant in your life because he, he not only wants to, but he longs to. He wants to do something significant for you if you cooperate and allow him to. And so Romans 8.37, the the second part of that verse, it says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As recipients of his love, we become conquerors in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time of gathering. We're thankful We're thankful for the opportunity to minister your word. I thank you for all that have come and those who are viewing this online. Father, that truth would come forth in a way to build, Father, to expose the lie, to bring freedom and liberty in the lives of people. In Jesus' name, we give you praise and honor and glory today. Amen. You know, I just wanted to share this with you. Did you know that we are a Facebook church? We seek his face, and we open his book, okay? We're a Facebook church. Just write that down. Take that down in your notes, okay? Anyway, we have been looking at Ecclesiastes, which is the whole book. The theme of of that book is a search for purpose. It's a book of perspective. It's looking at life. What's the meaning of life? What's this all about? What's my purpose? What's my role? What's my place in this life on earth? And Solomon, who was considered the wisest man of his day, had this pursuit, and he was going after understanding wisdom in the meaning of life. And in in chapter 3, and our theme verse for this entire series has been Ecclesiastes 3.1, which states, for everything there is a season and time, and a time for every matter under heaven. So there's times and seasons of life that we all go through. And it's understanding how to navigate through life in those times and seasons. Because some of those times and seasons may be facing conflict, may be facing difficulty, may be dealing with matters that we need answers for. And so it's knowing that God understands the time and the season that you're going through right now. And he has not abandoned you. He's there with you to help you get through it triumphantly as more than a conqueror because of his great love for us. Now, it's interesting because God has an eternal perspective and he has 
uh, an eternal purpose for everything he does. God does nothing randomly. Everything he does, there's a purpose and there's a reason for it. In in verses 14 and 15 in Ecclesiastes 3, uh, uh, King Solomon is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he, he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. We stand in awe. That word fear means to stand in awe of what God has done. You know, I encourage you, if you haven't done it lately, you know, to go outside and just look at nature, look at beauty, look at the night sky, and begin to acknowledge the one who created this world that we live in, and begin to let him minister to you even through his creation. Sometimes we're so busy, we're so wrapped up in our daily issues that we fail to take time and see the bigger picture. God has an eternal purpose for your life. And he wants to fulfill that purpose. But see, we need to discover what that is. And that's what Solomon was doing. He was uh, attempting to discover the purpose of God for his life. And see, that should be an objective for each and every one of us to find out, God, what's your purpose? What's your plan? What's your will for my life? And then go after it. And now today we're looking at verse 8. And this verse 8, Ecclesiastes 3.8 says, There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now we're going to be looking at these phrases and we're going to group them together, two together as we look at them. The first we're going to look at is a time to love and a time to hate. And let me just tell you that the greatest force in heaven and on earth is love. It's the power of love. It's the power of God's love. That's the greatest force on heaven and earth and in all the universe. It's the power of God's love. And it's interesting because uh, in 1 John, it defines God as love. It says God is love. So if God is the greatest power in this universe, it stands to reason that if he's love, then love is the greatest power in all the universe. Now, Jesus, who was the representative of the Father, he came as God incarnate in the flesh, that means he was God among us. He, he took on human form and he dwelt among us. He taught his disciples the importance of love. He taught his disciples the importance of the commandment to love. And, and let me say this to you because when God gives us a commandment, that commandment authorizes you to fulfill what he says, what the law demands, what the command demands. So when, when, when Jesus said to Peter, come, when he said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to walk on water. All Jesus had to say was come. He gave the command. And Peter stepped out in obedience to that command. And he walked in water. At least until he looked at the waves and the, the wind. And he, he began to sink. And Jesus saved him after all. But we, we understand this. And let's look at this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 32. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You know, I don't think there's enough focus on that commandment. And what's interesting, Jesus said you take all the ten, you take all the law and the prophets, and you can wrap it up in this one right here. This commandment. It's loving God. Because if you love God, then something's going to trickle over. You're going to begin to love your neighbor. You're going to begin to love others. You're going to begin to love your spouse. You're going to begin to love your kids, your neighbors, and everyone else. Okay, and so it goes on to say the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
So the greatest commandment we have is the commandment to love. And if love is the greatest force and strength in all the universe, that stands to reason, okay? Love is stronger than hate, okay? Mark it down. See, we need to know and experience the power of God's love in our lives. And let me say, maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't experienced the love of God in your life. But I pray today will be a beginning for you if you haven't experienced the power of God's love. Because when you encounter the love of God, it has a transforming impact upon your life, upon the way you think, upon the way you act, even upon the way you look. It will affect you. It will transform you. So encountering God's love is is so significant. And that's my passion as a pastor. I want people in this community, I want people in our church to encounter the love of God because it will change you. See, we we work so hard to try to um, get people to change, to, to rehabilitate and do all that. And really getting them to have an encounter with God's love makes that job a whole lot easier. Because God does so much. Now, um, love never fails. And you can just jot this down if you're taking notes. I don't have a slide for it. First Corinthians 13.8 says, love never fails. And let me tell you, it takes more effort to hate somebody than to love somebody. It really does. Just like they say, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. Okay? And so the same is with hatred. You know, you have to put effort into hating someone. Um, Here's a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Yeah. How about you? Can you agree with that? (laughs) I want to stick with love. I don't want to have to bear hatred in my life to have unforgiveness, resentment, ill will towards people. That makes me a miserable person. Whenever I embrace those things, it makes me a miserable person, and it also makes me hard to deal with. A person full of hatred isn't a pleasant person to be around, okay? Now, uh, here's another quote by Franklin D. Roosevelt. Roosevelt. I'll get his name right. One of our former presidents, okay, who is now with the Lord, hopefully. The value of love will always be stronger than the value of hate, Any nation or group of nations that employs hatred eventually is torn to pieces by hatred. Wow, that's a profound and powerful statement. And how many of you have heard of an individual called Nelson Mandela? He made this statement, if people can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Wow, that that is also too so powerful. Another quote by Martin Luther King Jr. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Yeah, so just ponder those things as we continue to share this message with you. Remind yourself to be kind to others and to always choose love over hate. See, it's a choice. It's a choice. But some people give in to, the, to hatred and they don't realize that I can choose to love in this moment. But you might have reason to hate. And sometimes we try to justify our hate because of the situation, because of the circumstance. But God doesn't want you to justify your hate. He wants you to love in response to being hated. 
And we see that Jesus, he uh, taught us to love our enemies, to do good to those who despitefully use you. Now, not all hatred is bad. And we're going to get into this in a little bit. But uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Mark it down. The greatest of these is love. Faith is important. Hope is important. But the greatest of all three is love. Okay? So the times to love really should occur more than the times to hate. Now, as I said a little bit earlier, not all hatred is bad. If, now notice the if clause, if it's directed towards evil and injustice. Okay? Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. I want you to look at this because this important passage that I want you to really get a hold of. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. It's speaking of the Son. And it's speaking about his passion. It's speaking about uh, something about his character when we look at this. And it's actually a quote from Psalms 45 verse 7 in reference to the Messiah. The Messiah was the one that was sent to redeem lost humanity, the, the promise to Israel that I'd raise up one that would come and save those uh, that need to be saved from their sins, okay? Which that, that's all of us. We all need to be saved from our sins, right? But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Now this is God really kind of speaking to Jesus, but he's speaking to himself because he is God, okay? He says, your throne, O God. See, so Jesus is God. Some people will try to tell you, Jesus is Michael, Archangel. Jesus is someone else, but he's not God, but he is God. Jesus is God. Any cult, any false religion will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Mark it down. They'll, uh, they'll deny the deity of Jesus Christ, okay? So, Again, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. In other words, it, 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 it's continuous. It never comes to an end, okay? Verse, it goes on to say, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, would you agree with me that hatred is a strong word? Hatred is a very strong word. But what you love and what you hate is a clue to what you're called to do in life. See, uh, I do this assignment. I, I teach high school Bible at Stevensburg Christian Academy, and we're looking forward to setting up this school year. Uh, there's still time to enroll you kids if, if, if you want to check it out and all that. But I... Every year in the high school, uh, when we do, the, um, we do the missions and evangelism class, I will do a survey among the students. I'll have them make two lists. The first list is make a list of the things they love. The second list is a list of the things they hate. And then we will discuss what they love and what they hate. And when we go through that discussion, it's very easy to begin to see what may be a passion or a calling in a person's life. When we consider Jesus, the fact that he loved righteousness, and righteousness is for things to be right. It's right order. 
It's, it's for you to have, be right in your heart and all that stuff. And it's to live right. It's to be right. It's just the right focus and perspective. It's, it has to do with a lot of things. He loved righteousness. He loved things to be right, but he hated wickedness. And the word wickedness means to be twisted, to be contorted, it's for, some, for truth to be twisted in a way that it becomes a lie, okay? So anything to do with wickedness, Jesus absolutely hated it. Now, it's important to understand that he didn't hate wicked people. He hated wickedness. Because, see, now the problem with us sometimes, uh, we fail to love the sinner because we hate their sin. But Jesus was able to love the sinner and yet still hate their sin. He hated the, the hated it to the point where he did something about their sin. He bore their sin. He took their sin so they could go free, okay? So that's something that we need to understand. One of the reasons I'm a pastor, one of the reasons I answered the call of God upon my life is I hate the thought of people dying and going to hell without hearing the gospel. The reason I'm a pastor of a church is I hate the fact that there's churches that don't preach the truth of the gospel. So I wanted Refuge to be a church where the gospel message was clearly presented, where people would have opportunity to receive salvation, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive the gift of eternal life so they wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. And, and so those are passions in my own life. I hate that children are neglected and not properly cared for. We have a child care center with loving providers that are looking after the well-being of children uh, five days a week here. And, and that was when I looked at this community and looking at, we have to serve the children. I hate that children are being neglected. I hate that children, uh, they're, they're in a place maybe that their needs aren't being met. And so, yeah, it takes effort to, to organize, to get something started. But God sent me a wonderful wife. At that time, she wasn't my wife. And I can remember when I first met her, she, she told me that she had a background in early childhood education. And my eyes lit up. And I, I said, you know, we have a vision to start a child care center. Would you help us? And that's where we started. Our relationship started over that little conversation. And, and look at how we're married. I have four children, uh, uh, three grandchildren, one on the way. Uh, so God is doing amazing things. Yeah. Over that one little conversation, honey. She didn't know the level of dedication commitment she would have before her. <laughs> yeah, but she's been phenomenal in what she's done to raise up a ministry that served served over 3,000 children in our community over the years. And that's being very conservative, a conservative number over the years. And so we're, we're so blessed to serve children, serve families. Jesus' love for righteousness caused him to do something about it. Because he hated wickedness, he did something about it. Psalms 97 verse 10 Psalms 97 verse 10 says, Oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So if you truly love God, then you will hate evil. 
But that doesn't give you a license to hate people. There's a difference because the cross of Jesus Christ separated man's sin from the sinner so he could love the sinner, hate the sin, and save the sinner, and do away with the sin. See, Jesus bore the sins of humanity upon himself. Now, one person can make a difference because of what they hate. Hate will motivate you to action. But love, understand, is the driving force. Love is the driving force. William Wilberforce, ever hear about that guy? He lived in Great Britain from August 24th, 1759 to July 29th, 1883. He's actually one of Great Britain's social reformers. He was involved in campaigns against slavery. It was, his, it was his passion because of his hatred of slavery and what it did to, to demean human beings. It was his passion to see it abolished. And so he became part of Parliament in Great Britain, and he saw his life mission to end slavery. And he was also an advocate to establish Christian, Christian principles that would govern decisions made by governments and, and by Great Britain. Um, and his, he actually died in 1833, just three days after Parliament passed the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833, which effectively banned slavery in the British Empire. And the British Empire at that time was huge. It, it spanned the globe, okay? And so it was a major, uh, he had to go through major opposition. There were so many anti-forces against him, but he stood up because of his hatred for slavery and his love to see people free. Somebody that's closer to home, a man called Abraham Lincoln, one of our former presidents. Lincoln abhorred slavery and from a political perspective wished to prevent slavery from being extended and ultimately to be banished and to be phased out in our country. In the Gettysburg Address, he stated, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers fought, brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. See, he took the Declaration of Independence to build his case to abolish slavery in our country. So he gave very influential speeches which drew on the Declaration of Independence to prove that the Founding Fathers' intention was to eliminate slavery in our country. And the statement is, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now it's interesting because Lincoln had a strong capacity for empathy and he would try to see problems from everyone's perspective, even the slave owners in the South. And he came up with this, which is so profound. He said to the slave owners, he used this concept of empathy to speak against slavery. And this is what he stated. I have always thought that all men should be free. 
But if any should be slaves, it should be first those who desired for themselves, and secondly, those who desired for others. When I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. Abraham Lincoln. In other words, if you think slavery is okay for another person, then you should accept it for yourself. And unless you're willing to be a slave, you have no reason to support slavery imposed upon others. What an argument. Well, he won the presidency, and actually on September 22nd, 1862, Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation that declared the freedom of slaves within the Confederacy. And part of the statement was all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of the state shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free. Wow. Now, that's pretty powerful. And so on January 31st, 1865, Lincoln helped pass through Congress a bill to outlaw slavery. The 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution was officially signed into law on December 6th, 1865. Now there's a time to love and a time to hate. The second part of verse 8 in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there's a time for war and a time for peace. Realize that sometimes for there to be peace, there has to be a war. In Revelation 12, 7, I don't have a slide for that, but you can just reference that if you're taking notes. The Bible says there was a war in heaven and Satan was cast out. So there was a war fought in heaven, so there's a time for war. In Revelation 19, 11, the Bible speaks of Jesus coming on the white horse and he's called a faithful, and he's called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So he makes war upon evil and injustice and wickedness. First Timothy 6:12 says, fight the good fight of faith. So there's a fight that we are involved with as human beings. And if there's a fight, then that means there's some type of warfare going on. 2 Timothy 2.3, the Apostle Paul, in sharing with Timothy, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. So he called Timothy a soldier in Christ's army. So that means, okay, uh, we have to fight. That means there may be a war, there may be a conflict. So there's a time for war. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we have weapons of warfare, the name of Jesus, the word of God. We have prayer. We have these things that have equipped us to fight and do warfare in the spirit realm. Okay, and realize that before there's ever a physical conflict, there's a spiritual conflict and there's a spiritual warfare that takes place, okay? That we need to be trained, equipped, and willing to fight. Some Christians, they don't know how to fight. 
the good fight of faith. Some Christians are defeated because they don't know that they're in a warfare and the warfare is going on. And so that's why they don't have peace. Now a strong, well-equipped, prepared, and equipped military is a safeguard to preserve peace. That's why the weakening, weakening, the weakening, I'll say it right, of our military is only a threat to our peace. A, th- a strong military ensures long-lasting peace in our country because it will, it will discourage any enemy from trying to make an attempt to try to take away our freedom. Okay? So a strong offense will deter somebody who's trying to get us, okay? A just war is intended always, always to establish peace. War is to defend, it's to protect and preserve our freedom when it's threatened, okay? Understand that. And a strong military, as I said, is an important factor in preserving lasting peace. And and there's forces that oppose peace that must be confronted. There's forces that must be confronted in our own personal lives. There's those things that are trying to rob us of our peace. See, and realize that the purpose of of law enforcement even, they're called peacekeepers. They're to ensure the peace and the well-being of the community. And so they enforce the laws to ensure our peace. And so we're thankful for that. And there's forces in our society that are trying to take our freedom away from us. Peace is established when those who oppose peace are apprehended. And I wanted to close. Um, I'm going to give an invitation in just a moment. There's another type of slavery. We talked about slavery today. There's another type of slavery that Jesus came to declare our emancipation proclamation. He fought a fight to purchase our freedom from sin and its bondage. Understand that. And see, there's natural and spiritual forces that are attempting to keep people enslaved. So in my invitation today, I want to extend an invitation to anyone who's here that has not made their peace with God. Maybe you are enslaved to sin and you can't stop it. It's out of control. Or maybe you're just a good guy, but you still have issues. Because I think sometimes a person that seems to have their act all together sometimes are harder to win to Christ or come to Christ because they think they've got a handle on it. But whether you think you have a handle on it or don't, Jesus extends to you forgiveness and the opportunity for you to be set free from sin so that you can receive forgiveness, so that you can become a child of God, become part of his family, and share eternity with him and escape the judgment that comes upon sinners who reject God. Romans 6.17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, and I, I raised my hand, I was once a slave of sin. Pastor, does, does that mean you don't sin anymore? No, I still am human. I still miss it. But there's forgiveness. And see, there's an advocate. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you've sinned and you feel like you're a failure. 
you feel like God's rejected you or he can no longer accept you. But the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. Even if we are believers, if we've sinned, and the Bible says confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then Jesus is the advocate who bore not only the sins of this world, but he bore our sins as well. In Colossians 1.20, the scripture also reads, and through him, speaking of Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So understand that there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Jesus came to establish peace, but there was a war he fought against sin. And that war cost him his very life because he gave his life for you and for me. I want you to stand together with me and I'm going to ask if you would in, the, uh, in this moment, just bow your head. And I'm going to ask a question. Today, you might say, Pastor, I don't know that my life is really right with God. I haven't really encountered his love I can't say that I really know him. I know that I'm a sinner. And today, from what I heard, I believe I need a savior. So Jesus extends himself to you today to receive you, to forgive you, to cleanse you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I know my life is not right with God, but I'm ready to give my heart to him. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm not going to have you come out. I'm not going to have you do anything crazy. But I'm going to pray with you and for you, anyone today. Say, my life is not right with God. And I want to surrender to him today. And maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've kind of drifted from God. I've, I've, I've kind of gone off to the wayside. And I've been doing things and living in a way that I know is not pleasing to God, but I'm ready to make a comeback today. I'm ready to get things right today. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I I see that hand. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I humble myself before you. I acknowledge that you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I believe that he died in my place. I believe that he was raised from the dead to give me new life. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Now, Father, I just pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, if we've missed it, if we've failed, I pray that you would cleanse us from unrighteousness, that you would forgive us of our sins so that we could be in right standing with you, Lord God, so that we could live our lives to serve your purpose. Father, I pray for the people here that 
as they look at what they love and what they hate, that they would discover what you've called them to do, that they would discover, Father, what their assignment is in this life. Father, give revelation and understanding to this body of believers so that they can know and understand your purpose for them. Just as you, Jesus, love righteousness and hated iniquity, let us embrace that for ourselves as we live our lives. Let your passion rule in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.